Good evening and welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA players, legends, and top instructors go to share their stories, insights, and playing lessons. Join Chris every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time as he talks with the greats of the game. Tonight's show is sponsored by the French Lick Resort, Ben Hogan Golf, the PGA Tour Superstore, Two Wonder, the Salt Creek Golf Retreat, TaylorMade Golf, the Bobby Jones Apparel Company, and Superspeed Golf. Now, here's your host, Chris Mascaro. Good evening, folks, and thank you so much for joining me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Very excited about tonight's show. Been looking forward to it for a while because I've got three very special guests that I get to spend time with and I also get to share with you tonight. First up with me is going to be Charlie Fisher. Charlie is the marketing manager for Golf Pride Grips, which you guys know are my favorite grips, my grips of choice. I've got their Tour Velvet Align grips on all of my clubs. Absolutely love it. And I'll tell you what, when I am testing other equipment, if it doesn't have the Tour Velvet Align grip on it, it feels weird to me. I feel out of place because I've grown so accustomed to that alignment along the back and the tackiness of that grip. So really appreciate and really love having Charlie as part of the show tonight. want to talk to him about this year's PGA Merchandise Show. We'll also talk about their new grips that they have for this year, their new Align Z grip, which is about to come out a little bit later on this week. They just moved into their new headquarters, which is right outside the gates of Pinehurst, number eight. Want to talk about that. And we'll also talk about they've got a nice tool on their website, golfpride.com. Go check it out. You can go in there and it'll help you size up and figure out what the right grip is for you based on hand size and your preferences and that sort of thing. A really great tool. I used it and uh, got uh, got selected for two grips. One, that, ironically, the one I'm already using, thank goodness. Plus another one. I want to get Charlie's thoughts on that. So a lot to get into with Charlie when he joins me in just a few minutes. Following him, I'm going to get a return visit from Champions Tour Pro Tim Simpson. Tim is a four-time winner out on the regular tour. He has, you know, when you go back and you look at, he was one of the top players out there in the mid to late 1980s. So I want to talk about that time in his playing career. He's now a great instructor. And after a myriad of surgeries and a long bout with Lyme disease. He looks like he's fought his way all the way back. He, now he's been, you know, the uh, PGA tour comeback player of the year and the champions tour comeback player of the year. Could he do it a third time? Boy, that swing looks good. He's got a couple of videos out there on his Facebook page. So I want to talk about that with him as well. And, and get this folks, when you go back to his 1989 season, he finished sixth on the money list that year. He won $761,000. For the year, that was six best on tour. That's now a pretty nice third place uh, check these days. So I want to talk to him about the growth of the tour since uh, since that time. So looking forward to catching up with Tim when he joins me a little bit later on in this half hour. Then we're going to round out tonight's show with a return visit from Golf Tip Magazine's Top 25 instructor, Tom Patry. And Tom is going to be joining me twice a month this year, sharing his insights and his playing lessons. Tonight, we're going to talk about short game and putting. We'll talk about how to hit better pitch shots from 20 to 30 yards out. We'll also talk about how to improve our lag putting and our speed, right? So, so many of us, and I got my hand raised here, me included, right? Some of the places that we're losing strokes are on those three putts. When we're 30, 40 feet from the pin, all of a sudden, you know, we're leaving that thing five or six feet short or we're running it past the hole. We miss it coming back. There's a three putt and an unnecessary stroke. An unforced error 
if you will, that uh, maybe Tom can help us with and uh, help us improve our scores. Looking forward to catching up with TP about 40 minutes from now. So a lot more great stories, information, and playing lessons coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the T. Again, thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me tonight. Before we get started, I want to remind everyone about my good friend Mitch Lawrence and his podcast called Talking Golf Getaways. He and his co-host Darren Bunch let you know great places to go play, stay, and even eat and drink while you're there. Again, their show is Talking Golf Getaways. It's moved over to a new site, Golf Trip X. So that's X for experts. So GolfTripX.com. Go there, check out their show, and learn more about some of the hidden gem courses that we have here around the country. His twin brother, Matthew, also fantastic. He's got a great show called Backspin Golf, which rumor has it is going to be returning live on the airways on Sunday, September, or Sunday, March the 10th. And that show airs on WLXG ESPN Radio AM 1300 up in Lexington, Kentucky. The show airs live from 8 to 9 a.m. Eastern Time. You can go online to WLXG.com and stream any of his shows from this past year as a podcast. So catch up on anything you might have missed. And then the show, like I say, is going to be live here in a couple of weeks on Sunday, March the 10th. You can listen to it live on WLXG.com or do what I did, which is. And folks, as you know, we are sponsored by the French Lick Resort. Let's hear from our friend. Steve Rondonero about what they've got going on this winter. Play the courses champions play at French Lake Resort. Laura Davies won the 2018 Senior LPGA title on our Pete Dye course. Colin Montgomery won the Senior PGA title here in 2015. For an experience drenched in history, play our Donald Ross course, where Walter Hagen won the 1924 PGA Championship. It's never too early to plan that next buddy trip to play legendary golf at French Lake Resort, the Midwest's premier golf destination. Yeah, folks, be sure to go online to FrenchLake.com to see for yourself what a wonderful facility they've got there, and you can book your stay there as well. I also want to tell you about our good friends at the Ben Hogan Golf Equipment Company. Now, folks, if you haven't hit Ben Hogan Iron since maybe the 80s or the 90s, do yourself a favor and get a demo iron of either their Fort Worth PTX or new edge irons. Go out on the range and compare it to whatever it is you have. All Ben Hogan irons and wedges are handcrafted one at a time in their Fort Worth, Texas factory. No mass production, no shortcuts. You can now order custom-made irons, wedges, and hybrids by going online to BenHoganGolf.com, and they're going to build those clubs to your specification, and best of all, charge you a fraction of the typical retail price. Check out their complete line of forged irons, Wedges, utility irons, hybrids, bags, and accessories, again, by going online to BenHoganGolf.com. And please also check out our friends at the Bobby Jones Apparel Company by going online to BobbyJones.com. They've got their spring collection out now, and it looks absolutely fantastic. Plan ahead for spring and be among the first to sample their happy hour collection. And I've got my eye on some of their great new polos and sweaters. See what I'm talking about by going online to BobbyJones.com. And folks, this segment of the show is brought to you by our good friends over at Two Under. I want to welcome our new partners at Two Under, the unofficial underwear of the PGA Tour, worn by PGA Tour players like Ricky Fowler, David Toms, Jerry Kelly, William McGirt, Jason Kokrak, and Matt Everett, to name just a few. Your buddies are going to think you're a stud if they're even seeing you in your underwear, but that's another story. And your girlfriend and her wife is going to love the side effect, a visibly enhanced profile. The Joey Pouch technology provides the ultimate male asset management. It separates a man's most valuable assets from bodily contact to reduce unwanted skin-on-skin contact, providing less chafing, more control, and an altogether more luxurious feel. Start every round two under by wearing the coolest performance briefs on the market. 
Use code NXT on T20. So next on T20 to save 20% off your order at 200.com. And that's the number two, UNDR.com. Now back with me on the French Lick Resort guest line is Golf Pride Channel Marketing Manager, Charlie Fisher. Let me remind you a little bit about Charlie's background. He earned his bachelor's degree in business administration with a concentration in professional golf management from Methodist University and his MBA from the University of Phoenix. He started out as an assistant golf professional at Siwanoi Country Club up in Bronxville, New York, which is a beautiful Donald Ross designed course, which was the site of the very first PGA Championship back in 1916. From there, Charlie became first assistant golf professional at Colasagia Club in the Blue Ridge Mountains in Highlands, North Carolina, which is an Arnold Palmer designed course. Charlie then spent seven years with the Akushnik Company in various roles, ranging from consumer test coordinator to product test supervisor. He joined Golf Ride back in 2011 as a territory sales manager. He's ascended up through the organization and is now the channel marketing manager. And I'm honored to have him back with me again tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, Charlie, thanks for coming back on the show. Chris, thanks for having us on. We appreciate it. So, Charlie, I want to start our uh, time with you tonight by going back to the PGA Merchandise Show. What are what are some of the new things for this year that you guys either debuted there or uh, sort of gave a, a hint underneath the tent that would be coming up here in the early parts of 2019? Yeah, thanks, Chris. Uh, the PGA Show was a really exciting one for us this year. <clears throat> um, it, this was probably one of our biggest product launches uh, that we had. Um, and, and a few, uh, few new things like the tour velvet plus four, we've had such success with the plus four, uh, and the MCC at retail, um, and, and even, uh, with some of our OEM partners just to their custom programs that, you know, it made sense to, to launch it through the number one grip on the PGA tour, which is the tour velvet. Uh, it was, it was a no brainer for us. Plus the color scheme of it with the gray and the black, it's a very sleek looking grip. Um, and, and not to mention the texture pattern and the material, uh, that's just that much more enhanced than the new Tour Velvet Plus 4. So um, that was a really big one. We're expecting really good things for 2019. And then uh, Z Grip Align. Uh, the Z Cord has been um, such an amazing grip for us out on the PGA Tour. Um, it's, it's the heaviest cord out there on the market um, in terms of uh, in all, all weather, all performance uh, grip out there. And um, again, we, we've got enough guys playing it on the PGA Tour, playing it in a rib model. Uh, that it just made sense to to bring it with the Align technology out to retail. Um, so so those uh, from a swing grip category, those were were two really big ones for us. Um, we co-launched uh, the the new Green Align, um, which is uh, is coming out to market uh, in the next few weeks as well. Uh, which was uh, kind of an as seen on uh, the new Callaway Epic Flash Driver that they launched. You can actually see that that grip uh, on the Callaway Epic Flash Driver right now at retail. We'll be launching a golf pride version of it um, this year, uh, which was which was new for us to kind of have the align, the red align, which it's so well known for, um, coming out in a green color, uh, and then and then finally the the sensor contour pro, which Chris, I got to tell you, the contour pro, I mean, this is the most widely played shape ever uh, in terms of putter grips uh, over the course of years, you know, and people think back to the old pro only shape, the ping man shape. Um, these are this is this is the shape that's that's probably won more majors out there than uh, than than any grip you know I, I can't even think of anything close so uh, to bring it out with the sensor material and and that tour preferred shape and which is still widely used um, by some pretty well known guys like uh, I don't know Tiger Woods in terms of the shape 
it's great to have it in this in this uh, this lineup for 2019. And not to mention the gray and black color as well with the yellow cap. It's it's pretty slick. So. So there's a lot there to get excited about for me and uh, <laughs> yes. I'm sure for the rest of our listeners, Charlie. So uh, I want to tell you, I want to get a little more detail on this. So for, first of all, for listeners who haven't joined us when you've been on the show before, talk about the Align Grip technology and what it does for us. Sure. So the red, the, the Align, as I, as I mentioned, um, it, if you see it right now in, at retail stores, it, it's a red color. It's a red strip that's actually on the back of um, on the back of uh, our NCC Classic and the back of our Tor Velvet Plus floor grips and Tor Velvet uh, aligned as well, which we have out there. Um, but but mostly um, what it is is it's uh, it's a firmer material that's actually molded on the back side of our grip. Okay, and so what it allows for is we're, we're really trying to get help help players achieve some consistent hand placement. Um, and you know it's crazy over and we've talked about this before, Chris, but you know, over a third of the PGA Tour players are still playing a rib grip. And the thing is, is nobody really knows it because you can't see the internal rib, the mechanism inside that actually pokes out uh, when it's installed. And so at retail, it's really difficult for, for a consumer to understand, like, um, I, I've got a rib, you know, heck, they could grab a couple out of a basket and grab a few rib grips from this basket and, you know, a couple others mixed in with round grips. And it's just very inconsistent. Uh, but for us, we felt like we got to bring this technology to the forefront. And not only do we have to bring it to the forefront, we have to make it better. So <clears throat> when we launched the Align, what we did was is when we molded this on the backside of it, we still uh, included the, the internal rib as well. But it really, once it's installed, it, it really activates this external rib. Uh, and these, these uh, flex channels, which run along the side of the, the backside of the rib, and if you were to look at the grip, they're two white channels that run parallel to the red strip. It actually helps expose this external rib, and everything's within the the rules of golf, the USGA limitations of a 40th of an inch. But it really helps accentuate that within the rules of golf. You can feel this rib more so than any other. So it's firmer. It's got texture pattern on it, uh, and and ultimately it just helps you grip the club the same way every single time. For me, I can actually feel the club face a lot better. Uh, I feel like I can tell when it's open and when it's closed, and it helps me to actually feel that. Uh, throughout the swing. So um, I'll tell you, it's really been successful and it's catching more, it's catching on more and more. I think we've had now, I don't want to understate it, but I feel like we've had, I know we just had a win a couple of weeks ago um, out at the waste management uh, with the Tor Velvet rib on, on probably 12 or 13 of the clubs. So. For me now, when you talk about the Tor Velvet plus four, now I, all of a sudden I, I'm thinking I got the best of both worlds. And, and what I mean by that is when I went through the fitting tool that you have online at golfpride.com, it suggested two grips, the Tour Velvet Align, which you know is my favorite one, and I've got it on right. my clubs right now. But it also said, you know, as, a, as an, another option would be the MCC Plus 4, because I love the idea of the Plus 4. So first of all, let our listeners know what Plus 4 means, and now tell me how excited I should be, because I can now get it in the Tour Velvet Align as well. That's right. Plus four is, is basically, we kind of came up with that name with, uh, from, from more or less tour truck talk of it's built up with four extra layers of tape under the right hand. So when we came out with, uh, you know, just kind of more or less, and, and, and to go back to all of Golf Pride's grips were tour inspired. I mean, nothing, nothing we're coming out with. It's not tour tested. Uh, tour motiv our motivations come for more or less creating products for the best players in the world. But they're giving us feedback too, Chris. So, uh, when we're, when we're on the trucks and, you know, We've got a, a dedicated tour rep on 
on, on, on all the major tours, uh, more or less, they're giving us the feedback and saying, hey, this is what's happening. These are the tape profiles that the best players in the world are using for our products. They're building it up two reps under the right hand. They're building it up three reps under the right hand, four reps. And, and actually, you know, funny enough, the most common profile was, was probably pretty close to four reps under the right hand. Uh, so with that said, hey, why don't we, one, let's understand why the best players are doing this. And then two, why don't we make it, once we understood why, why don't we bring this to, to, the, uh, to the consumer and just build a grip to where they don't even have to ask for plus four under the right hand. Make it a little easier on the, on the, on the club builder. Let's just create a grip that's already built up. And when you think about how many other sports, whether it's hockey, whether it's baseball, uh, even tennis for that matter, you have a, you have a grip, a, a profile, but at least the piece that you're holding on to that's parallel. It's, it's similar from top to bottom. There isn't a whole lot of taper and it makes sense. It makes sense. And more or less, when you think of bat speed or tennis racket speed or even hockey speed, just when you're, when you're flinging the hockey stick, just it's in, in, in the right hand and the left hand, there's an equal amount of tension, but also it, it helps reduce tension. Um, it's, it's easier to hold on to. Uh, and it's not something where you're, you're, you're gripping tighter in one hand versus the other. It's, it really helps to kind of equal out that tension level between and really help you maximize speed. For the Tour Velvet Plus 4, we took the same texture pattern that we had in the Tour Velvet Align, which we launched last year. We took the same material, which is roughly about 8% softer than the original Tour Velvet. It doesn't really feel that way because of the extra tour, uh, texture pattern. So it's, 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 got, it's got the grip, it's got the feel, and I say the grip, uh, it, it, I mean that in the way that it holds you back too. It, it grips you back. So um, it's, it's pretty special in this Tour Velvet Plus 4. And again, taking it take it into account that it is the most played grip on the PGA tour. The tour velvet is um, it's, you know, we're, we're expecting this thing to be adopted pretty quickly out there. Yeah, no, I'm very excited. And that may be, you know, where I go when, as I re, uh, regret my clubs for this season, but I'm, I'm interested when, when you guys got feedback with why the plus four, right. When the, the tour players were saying to you guys that they like it to be a little thicker for the low hand, what was the why behind it? More or less. It just reduces, it reduces tension. They just felt like they could just put their, their hands are more uniform on the club. And they're not like, again, you think of, and, and I always do this when people ask me, like, uh, what size grip do I need? I'll have them grip a pencil and I'll say, hold on to it. Don't let me pull it out of your hand. And then I'll hand them the end of a golf club and I'll say, don't let me pull it out of your hand. And it's one of those things where the, when, when you're holding on to the pencil, you're having to grip it tighter to keep that, to hold on to it, right? I mean, it's, it's just, you're having to grip a little bit tighter to hold on to that pencil, not let me pull it out. But when I put the golf club in your hand, it's a lot easier. You don't have to grip it as tight. More or less, it's just reduced tension. So why not have that same amount of grip pressure in both hands uh, versus the top hand versus, you know, in, in the right hand? And it just reduced tension. It just makes sense. We see it just in, in the amount of speed that's able to be created. Um, and, and again, when you look at 90% of tour players, Chris, have some sort of, uh, of buildup, some sort of increased tape profile. And I'm not talking that it's not all the same, but we're talking about um, it's some way, some way, shape or form. So that could be in the form of putting a 58 round grip, which is a slightly smaller grip diameter than most iron shafts, which is usually about 600. And you do that, that actually gives the, gives the, uh, uh, the feel, or it actually helps expand the grip and, and gives the simulation of, you know, an extra couple of wraps there. So um, again, looking at how can we take that into consideration and create something that is built into the grip. And that's what we did. And Charlie, one of the things that we've talked about the other times you've joined me on the show, but I think it bears repeating is when, when, uh, when we go to buy new golf clubs, 
we always hear about now how important it is to get fit for those golf clubs, right? Whether it's your shaft, the t- different types of shafts and the kick points and all of those things, and even just down to the simple stuff, whether it's, it's a regular shaft, a stiff shaft, an extra stiff shaft, stiff shaft. But what we don't hear enough about is making sure that we have the right grip on there. You go buy, you know, uh, 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 golf clubs off the rack, and maybe we get them fit for ourselves, which is the right thing to do because none of us is good enough not to get fit for our club. But we don't hear enough about making sure you have the right grip on the end of those shafts. Talk about how and why it's so important to make sure because you have so many varieties of grips and finding the right one for your hand. Chris, I mean, you hit the nail on the head there in terms of it, this is something that we've really worked um, well with some of our, our OEM partners on, and, and that's more or less making the grip uh, an integral part of the process. Their technology is in designing the head. They source out the shafts from 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 a vendor, and then obviously the grip. And and most of the grips that that these OEMs are using come from Golf Pride. At the at the demo day or even in store custom fitting experience, I mean the the grip has become more and more and more a part of the conversation. And you know, and, and I'll throw a plug out for one of your sponsors at PJ Tour Superstore. They've really uh, embraced at the retail perspective, and and so have many of the other boutique. Um, club fitters as well and, and other retail partners as well, but they're probably leading the pack in, in their fitting van experience of actually having a golf pride performance fit, fitting display actually held in there. They recognize that, hey, look, the stock grip isn't just for everybody. Let's get the right size. Let's get the right technology. Uh, so, you know, you have different things from plus four to align to tour wrap, CP2, all the different families of grips. Let's make sure that you're playing with the right family of grips, that you've got the right size of grips. Um, and we're going to do it right here. Um, understand that um, right in the fitting bay. Uh, and some of our OEM, other OEM partners are integrating that into their fitting experience at that same store. So, um, you know, the retail partners are realizing like, hey, this is really important for the consumer. We're about trying to make this experience from top to bottom, not just fitting them for the head or grabbing something off the shelf. Let's, let's really embrace the fact that we can give the consumer something that's better for their game, right size, right technology. So it's, it's, um, it's, it's a huge mission for us, uh, more or less, to, to wherever golf, golf clubs are sold, that the grip is a part of that conversation. Uh, and it's becoming more and more a part of that as, as we're going. Yeah, and I think the, the, the interesting piece to all of this, Charlie, and, and again, I think you and I have talked about this before, but when you really get right down to it, the grip is our only connection to the golf club, right? Between our hands to the club, it's really about the grip because if the grip isn't right, thickness, you know, it, it doesn't feel good to us. It's maybe not tacky enough or whatever. Then you really do. And you mentioned this a moment ago. You lose connection to the club face. And if, if you don't have it right, then, then everything else is going to break down afterwards. So I think that's a very important piece that doesn't get enough pub. I'm sure it's something that you guys talk about a lot, but it sure is great to hear it coming from you. Because that's a, to me, that's a sort of a lost part in the fitting, a lost art in the fitting process is making sure you've got the right grip. That's right. That's exactly right. And, and you know, and we touched on this uh, with all the different technologies and, you know, it just we, we've got guys playing in, in Florida and Arizona and, and all kinds of different conditions out there, hot and humid and, and, uh, and cold and dry and, and all these different things. So we make grips. Uh, and, and then also with different, you know, uh, you know uh, hand, hands where some people have a tendency to, to sweat more. And so we've, we've really tried to address all of those, uh, those characteristics, the playing conditions and a person's conditions, uh, you know, the personal conditions, I should say, um, and make a grip for them 
for for that. That we've got something best uh, that that best fits them, uh, the conditions they play in, and then the size that they need. Charlie, just a couple more before we let you go. And um, you guys have just opened up a brand new facility out there outside of Pinehurst Number Eight. If uh, if I uh, take a look at it online and uh, we get we get the opportunity to actually come by and check it out, talk about all the great things that we'll find there. Well, I'll tell you, Chris, this is this has been a long time coming for Golf Pride. Um, once we we uh, closed our Laurenburg, uh, North Carolina uh, factory, where we made grips up until about 2008, 2009, um, you know, we've we've we found a home in, in Southern Pines for about 10 years and really served us well. But as we continue to move forward, um, we, you know, we, we found that we had roughly three different buildings that we were operating out of. We had an R&D facility where it was, you know, a, a micro um a manufacturing environment, very micro, but just more or less bringing, you know, prototypes and concepts uh, to the forefront. And then we had a tour, to, tour area where all of our tour grips are stored and shipped from. And then we had just the normal offices. And there was a lot of disconnect there. And so I can tell you, we under really great leadership that we have at Golf Pride, they've recognized, hey, look, we need a lot more collaboration. We've been in this building now for about four weeks. I think this is the fourth or fifth week now. And and Chris, it's it's unbelievable. I mean, just the amount of uh, just the, just the, the ease of use, um, the ease of, uh, you know, being able to communicate with people, um, from sales and from R and D and from product management, it really helps bring what I do, uh, to life. And it just, there's, there's the communication already. It's just better. Um, it's funny. We've got a nine hole putting course around the office and, and it's actually fun. I mean, you wouldn't believe the amount of like conversations that you can have just about work, uh, you know, putting around the office or even ping pong. Um, it's something that it's, um, and not to highlight that stuff, but it, it, it really does help. Uh, it really helps uh, create that collaboration that, that we need to drive forward. And I can tell you that, uh, you know, our president's goal is more or less to have, have a couple of ideas on Monday, develop it on Tuesday, test it on Wednesday, have a meeting on Thursday, and then we're making decisions by Friday. Um, and, and so really to bring that rapid prototyping um, to life, um, I see that happening at this facility. So um, it's it's really it's great. Not only that, but we've got you know one of the best courses uh, in the country at Pinehurst Number Eight. Literally, uh, the driving range is you know probably a par five away from uh, from our front door. And uh, to be able to get out on the range, have consumers come out and test the product, um, it's you know we're really looking to create a, a really cool experience uh, for when people want to come and get fit, uh, but more or less um, for consumers uh, when they're buying our product that they can know that it's it's really been validated. It's been vetted. Uh, and we're only bringing the best stuff to market for them. And Charlie, every time I go out on the Golf Pride Twitter page at Golf Pride Grips, players who are using your grips are the ones that are ending up in the winner's circle almost every time. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, I saw the player who won on every one of the tours was using a Golf Pride grip. Talk about how Golf Pride ranks, you know, regarding tour wins versus your competition. If you want me to be specific, I think we had 86% uh, 86% of, of guys using our product on the PGA Tour last year. I, on, I'm sorry, across all five major five uh, worldwide tours, um, and and so we we claim played by 80%. Uh, technically, it was about 86% last year, um, but I'll tell you honestly, Chris, it comes down to the fact that like we keep bringing innovation to the marketplace. We keep bringing the best players. Um, when you hear guys like you know. Uh, uh, you know, I think of Fred Couples was playing the CP2 rap, who he's played either a Victor grip or a Tor Velvet style grip. And now he's, you know, uh, 
playing the CP2 rep grip, which is full of technology. You can't necessarily see it, the control core up top. But I mean, guys, they're trying out different stuff. They're recognizing what Golf Pride is doing um, in terms of really trying to change the way that the club feels in their hand and the way that it performs and all the conditions that they're playing in. Um, But not only that, but we've got a great tour team out there. Uh, guys who really understand they've got the experience, the relationships, um, and they're providing the feedback for us. And it takes, you know, you can have really good people in the field, but if they don't have the critical thinking skills to be able to assess what somebody, what a player is saying, and then really provide detailed feedback to our team, the product development team to to do it, that's, that's really what it takes. So um, we're dedicated to more or less providing them the tools to play their best um, and, and have the confidence that they need. And that's why we say, you know, Grip confidence, grip golf pride, because it's it's more or less we want that player feeling as confident as they can be when they step out on the tee. The product that you know they don't need to wipe it down a hundred times to uh, for it to feel good in their hands. It's going to feel good when they pick it out of the bag. So, Charlie, before we let you go, remind our listeners how they can stay up to date with all the great things you guys are doing and follow you, whether it's online or it's on social media. Uh, golf pride, golf pride is uh, extremely active on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, and Facebook. Uh, those are our three main platforms that uh, that we really post on. And, you know, we always have some sort of social promotion going on, I would say at least quarterly, especially during, uh, you know, the holiday season or, or Father's Day or getting ready for uh, the first major of the year. Uh, we're really excited about uh, about all those things, all things golf, um, golf rides posting. And, um, you know, we're, we're always excited to, to highlight um, the players that are successful using our stuff, but we're doing social promotions up there. Always uh, at, at Golf Pride uh, on Twitter and Facebook and, and Instagram. So be uh, be on the lookout for those promotions, and, and we hope you get some really cool gear out there. Charlie, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show. I always enjoy getting to spend some time with you. I thank you for your time, and I hope you'll come back and join me again real soon, my friend. Chris, always thanks for having Golf Pride on your show. We appreciate the support that you give us, and uh, we look forward to coming back anytime you'll have us. Thank you, Charlie. All the best to you and your family, my friend. We'll catch up soon. Sounds great. Thanks. See you, Charlie. That's a great Charlie Fisher. And uh, again, he is a Golf Pride Channel Marketing Manager. They do such great things there at Golf Pride. I'm telling you, folks, you know, the idea now that I can get the Tour Velvet with the Plus 4 and the Align technology, I I can't wait. I got to get my clubs regripped, right? It's time. Season's getting underway. You know, we're starting to get a little warmer weather here in Atlanta and around the country. And and uh, before you know it, it'll be time to get back out on the golf course. Got out there for the first time uh, just last weekend with my son and really enjoyed that. But uh, really looking forward to these Tour Velvet Plus 4s. And then, uh, uh, you know, on the putter side, the Sensor Contour Pro. Boy, that is absolutely outstanding as well. Looking forward to getting all of those on my clubs, hopefully here real soon and getting Charlie back on the show. Always have such a good time when Charlie's here. All right, folks, I've got my next guest, Tim Simpson, hanging on the line. I want to remind you about a couple of our other sponsors. First, Super Speed Golf, now used by over half of the tour players around the world. Super Speed Golf is the fastest and most effective way to increase your swing speed. Three eight-minute training sessions per week are all you need to see a 5% increase in your swing speed. And with sets for golfers of all ages and over one year of included video instruction, Super Speed offers a complete solution that's going to help you start bombing it off the tee. Visit them online at superspeedgolf.com to pick up your set today. And folks, well, TaylorMade Golf has done it again. The all-new TaylorMade M5 and M6 drivers have arrived, and what a story. They both feature speed-injected, created through a revolutionary manufacturing process where every single head, yes, every single head is injected and calibrated to the threshold of the legal limit. Basically, 
every head now is what they call tour spicy. Bead for all, now available. Check it out online by going to tailormadegolf.com. And folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends at the PGA Tour Superstore. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. And now back with me here on the French Lick Resort guest line is four-time winner on the PGA Tour, Tim Simpson. Let me remind you a little bit about Tim's background. He's from right here in Atlanta, Georgia, played his college golf at the University of Georgia, where he lettered in 1975 and 76. He was an honorable mention All-American in 75 and a third-team All-American in 76. He was named first-team All-SEC both of those seasons. And while at Georgia, Tim won the 1975 Palmetto Intercollegiate Tournament and the 1976 Southern Amateur. He finished 21st in the NCAA Championship in 1975 and 14th in 76 turned pro in 77, and he won four times out on the PGA Tour at the 1985 Southern Open, the 1989 USF&G Classic, and in back-to-back years at the Walt Disney World Oldsmobile Open in 89 and 90. He's collected five other professional wins, including five Georgia Opens and the Casherall World Championship over in uh, France. He had two top 10 finishes in majors, both coming in 1990 at the US Open and the PGA Championship. He was named Comeback Player of the Year in 1989. In 1990, he was named the Georgia Professional Athlete of the Year. 2004, he was inducted into the state of Georgia's Sports Hall of Fame. And in 2006, he was inducted into the Georgia State Golf Association Hall of Fame and named Comeback Player of the Year out on the Champions Tour. And I'm very honored to have Tim back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Tim, thanks for coming back on the show. Thank you for having me, Chris. How are you? I'm good, my friend. How have you been? Good. I was. I got to listen to the last few minutes with the golf pride segment. It's very interesting. Uh, I'm interested in that tour velvet grip you were talking about trying out because I'm a tour velvet man and I, I don't know what the new version is. Well, it sounds fantastic to me. So yeah, I'm looking forward to giving it a shot. And when I do, Tim, I'll let you know. You got to get it on your clubs as well. There you so, go. So Tim. When I was looking back over your career, I, I was looking at 1989, a year you won twice, and you finished sixth on the money list that year. You won $761,000, which is a nice third-place you know, check nowadays when you're out playing on the PGA Tour. So I was curious to get your thoughts. Are you surprised at how much the game has grown, particularly around the purse money, over the last 30 years? Oh, it's, it's crazy. I was telling a friend of mine today I was born 30 years too early. Because throughout my career, I was so consistent. I was kind of a top 10 machine. And, uh, oh, my gosh, I, I think I would uh, <clears throat> I would love my winnings today based on 66 top 10s on the PGA Tour. And, Tim, you were always known for being such a great ball striker, so much so that guys like Jack Nicklaus and Johnny Miller, even Butch Harmon, would comment about what a great ball striker you were. Talk about how did you become such a great ball striker? What did you do that enabled you to be so good at it? Well, you know, that's a great Chris, uh, great question, um, Chris. Um, I, uh, Dad gave me, when I was probably 13 or 14, he gave me Byron Nelson's book, Shape Your Swing the Modern Way. And Byron Nelson, you know, everybody talks about Hogan being, you know, such a great ball striker. Well, you know, when I do speaking engagements, I ask people, have you ever heard of an Iron Hogan machine? 
you know, the machine, the robot that they built, they, they named it Iron Byron for a reason because he was such an incredible ball striker. Well, he, he had a long lateral leg drive and actually somewhat of a dip in his swing. And I incorporated that long lateral leg drive in my swing, and it, and it just enabled me to hit it incredibly straight. Um, I played 32 tournaments a year, and I went – see, I did a show on the Golf Channel a number of years ago, and they reminded me – I think I went six or seven years without hitting a ball out of bounds. And it was wow. just uh, – I remember – yeah, I remember Golf Digest tested us in 1990 at the TPC, all 150 of us in the field. And I remember them telling me that nobody was even remotely close to keeping the club square square down the line as long as I was. And it was because of the long lateral leg drive. And, and as far as the rest of my swing goes, I just I had a very, very simple, repeatable swing. Uh, I could take. Uh, 1980, I don't remember if it was 89 or 90, you know, one Disney back to back, but I had not hit a golf ball in six weeks. I literally got off a private jet from an elk hunting trip in Wyoming and I had told my caddy, regrip my clubs. I'll meet you in 30 minutes. I won the Merrill Lynch shootout, teed off the next day and won the tournament four days later. And that's the way my swing always was. I could take six months off. And by the third day, I was hitting on all cylinders. Wow. And, you know, and to that end, as you talk about Byron Nelson, Tim, and, and, and I read that you spent some time learning from some of the all-time greats, not, not only Byron Nelson, but guys like Sam Snead and Gardner Dickinson, who I think was a very underrated player from over in Dothan, Alabama. But what did you glean? If you got part of that from Nelson, what did you get from Snead and Dickinson? Well, you know, Gardner Dickinson was one of only two people that Hogan taught. So I'm the, I'm the only person in the world to have worked with him and Sam as well as Byron. And I learned, uh, it's a great question you asked, I learned from each of them. Byron taught me a lot about the mental side of the game and, and um, little, little keys like the same thing he taught Tom Watson, how to slow your swing down under pressure. Starts with slowing everything down from your footwork to your waggle to your grip pressure. Because when you're under the gun, we all know your grip pressure is going to get tighter, i.e. your swing is going to get faster and shorter, and then you're going to start, you know, hitting it crooked. As far as Sam goes, you know, I worked with Sam for probably 20 years because of my great friendship with JC. He had told Sam, you got to see this kid hit a golf ball. And he said, they run him off the range. He practices 10 hours a day. And um, Sam and I just hit it off and, and and it and it really it really peeves me when I've heard teaching pros throughout the years say, wasn't it a shame he couldn't teach? Let me tell you what, he could teach. And and everything with Sam was uh tempo, rhythm. And um one one year at the Masters, I, I just I was just hitting it bad. And it was Wednesday. And I walked through uh the uh to into the locker room and Locker room attendant said, Mr. Simpson, Mr. Sneed was asking for you. I said, where is he? He said, he's in there eating with Mr. Sarazen. So I walked in and Sam said, how you doing, son? I said, good, Sam. How are you? And hey, Mr. Sarazen. And Sam said, how you hitting it, son? I said, Sam, I'm hitting it bad. He said, in typical Sam Sneed style, he said, going out yonder to the range. I'll be out there in a few minutes. I went out there and about 10 minutes later, Sam came out and, uh, he asked the, uh, 
the young man that was giving out the practice balls. He said, bring me a chair. And Sam sat the chair down about two feet from my balls, facing straight towards me. And um, and he said, go ahead and start hitting. And I hit a couple of balls. And he said, son, there's nothing the matter with your swing. Your tempo's off. And he said, son, the golf swing is like a waltz. It's not rock and roll. And he sat there and literally sang to me for an hour and a half. He would say, no, 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 no. And although I, the Masters was the only major I never played well in, uh, I did manage to make cut and, and play some good golf in, in weeks ensuing after that. You know, so it was a lot of common sense stuff with Sam. But, I mean, to watch, you know, he was totally double-jointed. Uh, he turned better in his 70s. I mean, he in his 70s, he turned like Fred Couples in his 40s. And, you know, he could just, he was just unbelievable. Um, and, and so I was just blessed to, to have known all these guys. Uh, one of the things that Gardner taught me that you'll never read or hear was Hogan taught him there were two, two separate and distinct golf swings. There was the full swing and then there was the wedge swing. And that was what Gardner worked with me on a lot was that the wedge swing was shorter, create more leverage, more risk hock early, and it's more feel the distance with arm speed, the speed of your arms. But, you know, my lifelong teacher has always been Art Kraft from Noonan, Georgia, and, and Art and I were so close that he just wanted me to be the best in the world. And if that meant going and working with somebody else, he was all for it. And, uh, but I, I just, I regret getting Lyme's disease when I did and losing my career the way I did because I think Art, Art Kraft would, without a doubt, be one of the top teachers in the world, would be a household name. He's just incredibly brilliant. Tim, uh, you mentioned, you know, the time with Sam and being at the, at the Masters. And at this time of year, you know, with Masters being six weeks or so away and, and I believe 1985 was your first time playing in the tournament. You finished, as you mentioned a moment ago, 18th that year. So I was curious, was was that the first time you ever got to play in the tournament and the first time you ever got to play Augusta National? Or did you get to play some since you were from here? No, I, you know, I got that. That was my birthday present when I turned 16. Um, my father and I had a friend at Ansley Golf Club where I grew up that had a dear friend that was a member of Augusta. And he said, you know, this kid's a state junior champ and very promising and Georgia and another college, number of other colleges are after him. You know, is there any way we can get him on? And it was kind of like the, the movie Caddyshack where, uh, the front nine was gorgeous. And then the back nine, it was the absolute thunderstorm of the century. And the rules are that if the member takes one step toward the clubhouse, that's it. You can't hit another shot. You cannot hit a shot without the member with you. And uh, this Larry McCrary, this wonderful gentleman that was a member there, um, he, we played the back nine in literally just unplayable conditions. And uh, I shot uh, 37, 34, I think, shot 71. And it was just truly one of the greatest days of my life. And uh, he told me, he said, I think you're going to be a great player. I think you're going to have a great PGA Tour career. And whenever you play in the Masters, you'll always use my locker. And sure enough, I showed up, and the the locker room attendant said, Mr. Simpson, we got you over here in Mr. McCrary's locker. And I'm like, now that's a sweet man. So he never forgot <laughs> that. He was awful kind, awful kind to a young kid. But, 
You know, it, it, it's funny because, you know, I had two legitimate chances to win the U.S. Open. I felt like I always could have could have and should have won the British Open. I just only played in it several times. Had some good PGA championships, but I just, the Masters greens just totally psyched me out. Growing up on small, flat Bermuda greens where everything's inside right and bang it or left lip and bang it, you know, I just didn't, it didn't fathom to me lining up 12 feet right of the hole, you know, and dying it in. And, uh, you know, in 89, I had just beat Norman head-to-head in a great duel at New Orleans the week before. So I come in the hottest player on earth, and I'm like, well, this is fi- finally my time. I'm finally going to get my green jacket. And I missed the cut. You know, I mean, and back then you didn't have to beat but four or five half dead guys, you know, to make the cut. (laughs) I mean, you know, you had Doug Ford and Billy Casper and Arnold, you know, I mean, these guys were like 80 years old and I still managed to miss the cut. And, and the irony is in 1990, uh, when, uh, or 91, when I missed the cut, that's when I went turkey hunting down in Metter, Georgia, and that's where I contracted Lyme's disease. It was Saturday night of the Masters that I got bit by all the ticks that started my downhill slide. I just never had success at Augusta. I wish I could do it over, all over again, though. And, Tim, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it because I'm sure they're not happy memories, but as you mentioned, getting Lyme's disease, you've, had, you've been the comeback player of the year on the PGA Tour, You've been the comeback player of the year on the Champions Tour. And I got to tell you, I saw some video of you from not all that long ago, I think back in September, and the swing looks real good. So could we see you coming back yet again out on the Champions Tour and have you put all the Lyme disease stuff behind you? No, unfortunately, uh, uh, thank you. That's very kind of you. But unfortunately, you have it for life. I'll have it for the rest of my life. There is no cure for it. And, uh, you know, I had the nine hour brain surgery in 2005 to stop the tremor in my left hand that was caused from the neurological damage from the Lyme disease and was able to come back and, and have five successful seasons on the champions tour. And in pursuit of getting in better shape, um, I wound up, I'd overworked my uh, hip flexors working out and, and I, I had four career ending injuries with one swing in Montreal, Canada. And, and, uh, that was the end of my second career. So I lost my career twice, but no, unfortunately, Chris, I, I haven't played in two and a half years. Um, I've had three back surgeries since my retirement and everything was going great. And then all of a sudden it just hit the fan and, uh, I hit balls, probably hit balls five times last year, but, um, you know, I'm, I, I reshafted some clubs last week. I'm all excited, ready to play. And yesterday I'm walking up my driveway and my back goes out again. You know, there's, you know, the, the crazy thing about back issues, whether it's me, you, Fred Couples, Jack Nicholas, whoever, is you can't sympathize with somebody that has back trouble unless you've had it. I mean, you, you can't understand taking a step. And, and it's like being stabbed with a knife, you know, and, and dropping to your knees, that kind of pain. But, uh, you know, I, I hope to play again, never competitively again. I'm done. I'm 62 and a half now. And, and, uh, but, you know, I would love to play with you, with other friends down here at Lake Oconee, with my grandchildren, you know, what have you. I still love the game. 
you know, I played the game for 50 years, 50 plus years. And, and, uh, you know, I miss it. I miss it. And, you know, I've just taken that, my competitiveness and thrown it into, uh, my archery. I shoot competitive archery. Uh, now I've been shooting archery for over 30 years, but I shoot traditional archery. I shoot long bows and recurves and, and it's a hoop. It's, it's so much fun. I shot in a big tournament last weekend down in Foley, Alabama. And, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. So I t- I've turned my passion from golf trying to be the best to trying to be the best in archery. It's a lot of fun. Tim, just a couple more before we let you go. And uh, you're also doing some instruction, right? Because I've seen some some great things written about you, about a, what a wonderful teacher of the game you are now. And, and mainly because you do what some of the things that you talked about earlier is you simplify the game where so many, you know, instruction now is technical and it's data driven and it's track man and all of those things. But you've been able to simplify the game for so many. Talk about some of the instruction you do. Well, it's very kind of you. Um, I think I have a unique ability to to keep it simple. I think, you know, you can you can be the smartest golf teacher in the world, Chris, but if you can't communicate with your pupil, then, you know, you're useless. And I, I, I believe that I have a, a strong belief now to with a better player. When I say a better player, you know, 12 or so handicap or less, you know, more of a top player. You know, I believe that if you can feel it, you can change it. Because when we go on the golf course, what do we have? All we have is our feel. And, and you know, there's, there's too, much, uh, too much data out there. It's great for getting fit with off the right shaft and this and that. But for God's sakes, when I get on a track, man, even as simple as my swing is, it's like, that's TMI. That is way too much daggum information. You know, and, and I think that if, if I can say, you know, a lot of times, you know, I've had students show up and, you know, I watch them and by the second swing, I've already got them pegged, you know, what's going on. And I'm like, there's nothing the matter with your swing. You got your gun pointed down first base. You're trying to shoot second base, you know, and, and that's one of the biggest, pro, uh, biggest common faults I see in young males, uh, especially college age students is they love to line up right and come over the top of the ball. Well, why? Because they're de-lofting. They're turning a, a seven iron into a six iron. So, you know, they're flying at 200 in the air with a seven iron, you know, but one time it goes to first base, the next time it goes to between first and second, and then occasionally they get lucky and hit it at second base. So, you know, it's it's I, I, I just keep it simple. I really do. Don't market myself at all. You know, I'm too old to stand out there 10 hours a day in the summertime heat here in Georgia. Tim, before we let you go, let our listeners know. You say you don't you don't market yourself, you don't advertise yourself. For those that want to get in touch with you and would be interested in whether it's working with you or just following you, how can they do that online or on social media? Uh, you can go to Tim, uh, Tim Simpson Golf or Tim Simpson Corporate Golf and um, – you know, you can, there's a little thing you can fill out if you're interested in me doing a public speaking engagement or individual lessons. And you can contact me through via email that way and I will respond. I will get back to you as soon as possible and, and we'll go from there. I love to teach. It's fun. And, and, uh, you know, I feel like I can, I can teach from, you know, my, 
my five-year-old granddaughter to Tiger Woods, you know, and all in between. It's, it's, it's not rocket science. And it does take work, obviously, by, by the, the person you're working with. But, but, you know, I'm, I'm the only person I know of in the, in America that, that will tell you, if you don't think I helped you, there's no charge. You know, I mean, I got a money back guarantee. <laughs> So you don't hear that very often, do you? (laughs) No, you do not. No. Tim, it's always such a pleasure to get to spend time with you. You are are an absolute treasure, my friend. I appreciate you so much and your time. I hope you'll come back and and join me again real soon. I would be happy to any time, and I appreciate you thinking of me. It's nice to know that I'm not totally forgotten. (laughs) <laughs> you are not. All right, Tim, take care. All the best to you and your family. I look forward to that opportunity to catch up again soon. Thanks so much, Chris. God bless. <laughs> you too. Take care, Tim. That's the great Tim Simpson, timsimpsongolf.com. Check him out online. I tell you, folks, when you go back and you look at Tim Simpson's record from the mid-'80s into the early-'90s, it is absolutely one of the best that you're going to see out there. It really is a shame. I think the Lyme disease robbed us of a guy that was going to do, you know, continue to win out on the PGA Tour. And goodness knows what he would have done out on the Champions Tour. That swing of his, and again, you can he's got it on his Facebook page. You can find it by uh, going out on YouTube as well. Is as pure and as wonderful a tempo a swing as you're going to ever see. That's why people talk about what a great ball striker he was. And you can see where he got it from, talking to Byron Nelson, spending time with Sam Snead and Gardner Dickinson. Boy, he learned from the best, and he certainly turned that teaching into a great golf swing, and now I'm sure passing it along to his students. So please go online and check him out. All right, I've got my next guest, Tom Patry, hanging on the line. I'm going to get to Tom on the other side of this real quick station break. You're listening to Next on the Tee. Heard around the world on great sites like TuneIn and Podbean. Hear your favorite PGA and LPGA legends, pros, and top instructors sharing their stories, insights, and tips to lower your scores every week here on Next on the Tee. Now, back to you, Chris. And now back with me on the French Lick Resort guest line is one of the top instructors anywhere on the planet, and that's Mr. Tom Patry. As you guys have heard me say over the last several weeks, we are fortunate enough to have Tom joining us as a regular guest now a couple of times a month. He was a Division II national champion and an All-American in Florida Southern. Golf Magazine has named him a Top 100 teacher every year since 2000. Golf Tips Magazine has now named Tom one of their Top 25 instructors in America, for the 2019 and 2020 seasons. As you've heard Tom say a couple of times here, not all that long ago, when he last told me a couple of weeks ago, he recently accepted the position as director of instruction at the Hawthorne's Golf and Country Club just outside of Indianapolis. And uh, get ready, Indy, he's coming your way in May. And I'm extremely honored he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, TP, thanks for joining me again tonight. Christopher, what's happening, my man? <laughs> How are you, Tom? Man, if I was doing any better, Chris, I'd be you. <laughs> Indeed. So, Tom, like I teed up a moment ago, but I want you to say it again. For for those of us who weren't who uh, weren't with us last time and uh, don't know, your new summer home is going to be at the Hawthorne's Golf and Country Club up in Fishers, Indiana, just a little north of Indianapolis. Talk about uh, your new home. 
because I'm starting up there May 7th. I'm joining uh, an old friend of mine, Mr. Tommy Moore, who's the director of golf and general manager there. I'm really excited about it. I've uh, The club has now announced that I've announced on social media, and I've gotten an unbelievable response. I mean, I just it's incredible, you know, in, in this day and age, how many people, and you certainly know this, how many people are on social media, how many people actually look at social media, and although I do a lot of social media, it's just incredible to me when you post something, the response you've gotten. And I've got a really warm response so far. I'm really psyched about it. I'm actually going up there April 17, 18, 19 to do a little presentation to the membership to say hello and uh, then start officially May 7th. So I'm pretty excited about it. And and they seem to be excited about it, too. So I, I can't wait to get uh, get my oars in the water. Tom, I want to I want to go back. Speaking of social media, I saw that you uh, you posted recently about the instructors that you learned a lot from, and one of them was Ken Venturi. How did you get connected with uh, Mr. Venturi, and what did he teach you? Ken Venturi, uh, the connection with Ken Venturi, Chris, started because of my time at Westchester Country Club and the Buick Classic. Obviously, the Buick Classic was covered by CBS. Kenny sat in the 18th Tower with Jim Nance for so many years, and uh, we kind of connected, just started talking on the range one day during one of those early Buick Classics in my career. I, I spent 11 years there, and uh, we hit it off right away. And Ken was just, um, Kenny was a person that if, if he realized that he had a passion for golf and loved the game the way we all do, or so many of us do, he um, he was a giver. He was a guy who would open his heart up and uh, and share his experiences with you. We, we, we had more than one lunch together. I'll tell you a great story. We all know the story about the match, the great the great book that was written about the match between Hogan, Byron Nelson, Harvey Ward, and Ken Venturi at Cypress Point years ago. And, you know, that was always a legendary story before it was even in print. And I, I had heard the story, you know, unofficially from a lot of people. And I got to have lunch one day, and, and Kenny told me the entire story from start to finish in his own words. Um, it was probably two and a half hours of the uh, – two and a half of the greatest golf hours of my life. Um, so he was extremely, extremely forthcoming and extremely open to uh, to talk and help. And we, we got to spend a couple of different really fun occasions together. He was just a wonderful, wonderful man. And Tom, when I think about, you know, the the, the great things that you do now, and you're a great uh, junior teacher, you've got a lot of young students, and you've got students, you know, uh, through a variety of different ages, all the way up to, you know, obviously folks around your age and my age. Talk about your instruction, and, and does it vary with, with respect to the age group that you're talking to, or is it more around a, a player's ability? How do you assess what, what way you're going to teach somebody? Is it age or is it ability or is it a little both? I think, Chris, I think it's a little bit of both. I think, I think one of the things that I, I do fairly well is I really assess who I have in front of me, you know, what, what they're trying to do, what they're trying to accomplish. You know, um, if Mr. Smith comes to my tee and he just wants to hit the golf ball up in the air and hit it a little more solid and enjoy his golf club, and he's a 20 handicap, and he'd like to be a 17, and that's kind of as much work as he's going to put into it. You can't expect him to do things like, you know, go to the range seven days a week, eight hours a day, and pound balls. He's not going to do that. So I was very, honestly, I was very bad in the first third of my career at hoping, wishing, and not understanding when somebody just wanted to go to the club and hit the ball up in the air and have a little bit of fun. I, I thought everybody should work like a tour player and grind it out and, and you know, you know, go to the gym and stretch and work out and, and do all and work on their short game endlessly. 
and, and at age 60, I'm, I'm a little bit more cognizant, thank God, that, you know, it, it all depends on who I have in front of me and what their aspirations and goals are, not what mine are. Um, so I, I think it's, it, it's not only age, it's ability, and it's, and it's certainly beyond that. What does that student want to accomplish? What, what are they there for? Not what, what do I want to accomplish? What would they like to do? So the first lesson is an interview process, and I'm very, very explicit about the interview process and asking them what, what they're there for, what they want to get out of it. So um, I hope that answers your question. Absolutely. So, Tom, I want to get uh, some short game tips from you. And you put a great video together for a standard pitch shot for when we're 20 to 30 yards short of the green. And, you know, you're looking at a, a relatively flat lie to a relatively level green pin in the middle or the back. Walk us through how to decide which club to use and how we should set up to the ball and what our swing length should look like. Well, Chris, I think the first thing is I think people – kind of do it backwards. I mean, so many students who initially come to me, you know, walk up to, especially when we're given a playing lesson, walk, you know, to their golf ball from their golf cart or from their golf bag with one club in their hand, and they've already kind of preset their destiny. So one of the things I want people to do is I want them to evaluate the shot first, the quality of their lie, how much, how much, how much room they have until the green begins, how much room they have on the green, the location of the pin, you know, the firmness or softness of the green, the undulations in the green, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So once they've kind of pictured the shot because of the information they've gathered, then I want them to ask themselves one final question. Okay, if I picture the shot being played this way, what club would allow that to happen? I want them to back into the club selection, piling the information and really analyzing the situation in front of them. So I think too many people go to that, that short game shot with a predestined idea about the club they should select and, 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 you know, and they don't have any imagination about what's going to happen in about 30 seconds when they pull the trigger. So I think backing into the club selection is very important. And as far as the technique is concerned, you know, I think it depends again, who you have in front of you. Some people have very gifted hands. Some people don't have very gifted hands. So I would teach those two people, two different styles of chipping and or pitching the golf ball. You know, one are going to be more of a connected situation, more of a body chest rotation shot. And some people are really good at manipulating the club with their hands. So, again, I think it goes back to, Chris, who you have in front of you, who you have in front of you what their skill level is, and, and, and what kind of shot are they trying to play. And, Tom, you recently shared in your newsletter how damaging negative self-talk can be, and we talk about that a lot on this show in your newsletter, you wrote about something that Dr. Bob Rotella once shared with you. Do you mind sharing that story? Well, first of all, Dr. Bob is is is, is a is an amazing character. You know, I mean, I, 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 my connection to Dr. Bob, just to go back a little bit, Chris, is is through a guy named Dick Coop. Dr. Dick Coop was at the University of North Carolina. Those two fellows were really, in my estimation, the pioneers of sports psychology, especially golf sports psychology. Uh, just to give you a little background in Dick Coop, Dick Coop taught people like Corey Pavin or coached people like Corey Pavin, Payne Stewart, and a guy named Michael Jordan. So, you know, he, he's no slouch and he's no, takes no backseat to anybody. And he and Bob were good friends and they shared a lot of information early on in their careers. Bob was a little bit more of a promoter. Dick was a little more laid back and stayed home, but they both helped me a lot. But the story you're referring to is that Bob once shared with me that the most damaging thing you could ever do is in your own voice, with your own ears, hear you say something negative about yourself. You know, if you and I were playing golf 
the other, and you hit a bad shot, and I said to you, man, Chris, you really stink. You'd probably turn to me and, and have some response from me that wasn't extremely positive and told me to shut up and, and mind my own business. But we all do that to ourselves. We all say, hey, you know, that man, Tom, you stink. Tom, you hit, you're you lousy. You're, you're, you're a chopper or whatever. I, I, don't, I don't do those things. That was a lesson I learned a long time ago. You know, I might think them, but you're never going to hear me say them out loud about myself. Because that's the most damaging thing you can do is hear in your own voice, in your own ears, say something bad about yourself or disparaging about yourself. So, you know, one of the things you can't do is you can't, you can't verbally express negative self-talk. It's the most damaging form of, of criticism you can ever, in, in, you know, inflict on yourself. Tom, I want to get a, another playing lesson from you and, and a place where I and so many of us struggle is with lag putting. You know, so many of us, including me, got my hand raised in the air here. You know, we'll three putt three or four times in a round, and those are sort of unforced errors that are costing us strokes because we'll take that 30 or 40 footer and we'll either leave it five or six feet short or running it five or six feet, five, five or six feet uh, past the hole. How can we do a better job of controlling our distances? You know, Chris, it's funny you say that because my last lesson tonight was at 5 o'clock tonight. With a, I'm not going to use the man's name. as a member at, at Esplanade where I teach in Naples. And I've been working with him for a while, and, and, he's, and he struggles with his golf game a little bit, and he's really working hard. And I got a little feedback from a from a secret admirer of his, and he has never expressed to me that he had any putting problems. And he, this fellow shoots in the mid-90s. That's what he's told me at least. So today, as we started the lesson, of course he wanted to hit, you know have a full swing lesson. I'll just call I'll just call him Bob for for, the, for this for this interview. And I said, Bob, I said, let me ask you a question. What did you shoot yesterday? He said, oh, Tom, I played terrible. I hit it terrible. I shot 95. I said, Bob, do you mind if I ask you? And and he's really worked hard on his golf swing in the last year. I got to tell you, he's really put some time into it and he's gotten better. I said, Bob, do you mind if I ask you how many three putts you had yesterday's round? And he very nonchalantly instantly replied to me. He said, well, I counted him. He said, I had 12. I said, 12? I said, you tell me you three-putted two-thirds of the hole yesterday? He goes, well, well, yeah, why? I said, well, why are we standing on the lesson tee? Why, why don't we walk over to the practice screen? He goes, well, I, I want to hit my driver bet. I said, Let, let's do a little math. I said, if somehow I could walk over to that practice screen and I could eliminate 12 three putts. I could just get you to two putt 12 times. What's what's 95 less 12? And he started laughing. He said, well, 83, but that's impossible. I said, let me ask you a question. I said, we've worked on the full swing for a while now. I said, let me ask you three questions about putting. Do you have to be strong to be a good putter? He said, no. You have to, I said, you have to be fast to be a good putter? He said, no. I said, you have to be able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. He said, well, no. I said, so what's the number one reason? This guy is not uncoordinated. He's decently coordinated. What's the number one reason why Tiger Woods putts better than you? And he said, talent. I said, no, wrong keyword. It's time. He's put much more time into his putting than you have, and he's developed a feel for distance by doing repetitions at various distances. I said, now, sure, there's some mechanics involved, but the mechanics of a putting stroke are much, much more simplified than that of a full swing. You know, smaller range of motion, lower speed, 
less moving parts. I said, come on, let's take a walk over to the putting ring. So we spent about an hour and a half over there till it almost got dark tonight. And he did. A, he, he started horrifically in terms of his distance control. And by the time that we, our time was done tonight, he was doing a wonderful job lagging the golf ball. I said, Bob, here's the deal. I want you to spend more time in this putting green in the next two weeks than you have in the last two years because <laughs> you haven't spent any time here. So that's not going to be hard to do. I said, I want you to start keeping track of your, of your, of your, of your three putts and tell me what happens. I said, well, Chris, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to predict the future. You can ask me next time I'm on with you how Bob's doing with his putting, okay? Because I know what's going to happen because I've done it with people before. He's going to have this miraculous epiphany that all of a sudden he's a decent putter and he's going to break 90 on a regular basis and he's going to think that I'm Jesus and I'm not Jesus, I'm Tom. <laughs> you know? So, so it's the number one way we get better at, at putting, and I'm going to ask you this, Chris, what's your handicap right now? I'm a 12. And, Chris, I know in the last two or three weeks, you've probably spent countless hours on the putting green, haven't you? <laughs> Indeed I have, Tom. <laughs> now, why are you laughing? No. I heard that chuckle in the background there. Okay. Uh, no. no, I have not. Okay. So, Chris, how much time have you spent on the range in the last two weeks? Uh, several hours. Okay. So I want you to do me a favor. I want you for the next two weeks to reverse the time and location of your practice. So I want you to take two hours, and I want you to stay off the range for two weeks, which is other, oh. than, other, than, other, than, other than when you warm up before a round to go. Okay? You're allowed to warm up. But right. the practice time, any dedicated practice time in the next two weeks, I want you to spend exclusively on the putting ring for two weeks, and then I want you to let me know how you're making out. Why do okay. people mismanage? I don't understand why people mismanage their time so much. One of my, one of my spokes in my, in my book, The Six-Spoke Approach, is time management, okay? And this might come as an epiphany to a lot of people out there, but you should spend the most time on your weakest link, not the most time on your best link. What a revolutionary idea, huh? It's just incredible. It's just mind-boggling to me. <laughs> Good point. Tom, oh, I got a couple more before we let you go. One one of the things in the new issue of Golf Tips magazine, you uh, have an article in there uh, about about the time you spent with Jackie Burke, who was just inducted, oh by the way, into the Houston Sports Hall of Fame, along with our good friend Dan Pastorini on the football side on our on our show Thursday Night Tailgate. But they both went in together here just a, a couple of weeks ago. But talk about the conversation that you had with Jackie Burke and how we can be sure our club face is square to the target. Jackie talked to me a little bit about club face and, and how people do not realize that slight deviations in the club face make huge, you know, huge, huge swing errors occur. And that most people make some of these errors before the club ever goes in motion. So one of the things I took away from that conversation with Jackie was one of the things I build into every pre-shot routine of every student I work with is I ask them to grip the club and then hold the club up at eye level with their arms fully extended in front of them. It's amazing to me how people don't detect a club face error on the ground, but when they put it up at eye level and extend their arms forward, they say things to me like, oh, that club's a little closed or that club's a little open. So those little tiny things that they can understand in their pre-shot by putting their hands on the club correctly, good sound grip, and then having that grip match 
a perfectly square club face because they checked it at eye level. And the reason it's so easy to check it at eye level and it's so much more um, accurate at eye level is that if, in case people out there didn't realize this, the good Lord built us as vertical binocular animals. So when we stand erect and look at something in front of us with both eyes level at the horizon, that's where we're most accurate. So we check it up there at eye level and then we set it down on the ground. And it's incredible how people who have hit shots offline suddenly grossly and accurately change their dispersion pattern to be much tighter. Um, so Jackie was really big on understanding the club face and the relationship between the club face and your hands on the club. And why wouldn't you build something like that into your pre-shot routine? What, what, you know, it's going to take you an extra two seconds. In the previous edition of Golf Tips Magazine, Tom, you talked about the keys to a good stance. Walk us through how we know we've got our, our uh, bodies in a good stance. Well, you know, there's a couple of things that are really important to me about, about your stance. The width of your feet, the flare of your feet, and, and the alignment of your feet. So if you get too wide, you can't get off your right side. If you get too narrow, you're going to probably lose your balance. If your left foot isn't flared at all, depending on your flexibility level, your pelvic region will be retarded in its rotation to some degree. And, and then certainly, you know, being centered in your feet and be attentive to, am I in balance before I play? Because if I'm, not in, if I'm not in balance before I play, I can't be in balance during my play. So I get people very attentive to the width of their feet, the flare of their feet based on their flexibility levels, and then certainly – you know, one of the last things I ask you to detect before you take the club away is, do I feel like I'm really centered in my feet? Do I feel balanced in my setup? Because if you don't start in balance, you can't stay in balance. So I think attention and just awareness during the pre-shot routine is a big deal. And I think people kind of rush through that sometimes, and they don't really have a process that kind of allows them to check all the boxes. Tom, you've got an event coming up on March 27th from 1 to 4 p.m. Eastern time with uh, former Navy SEAL Dr. Joe Lacays. Talk about what you guys have going on and how people can find out more information and get involved. Chris, Chris, I feel like you're stalking me. Are you stalking me? <laughs> <laughs> Who knows you better than I do, Tom? You know, you know more about me than my wife does. I, I mean, I'm not kidding. It's unbelievable. <laughs> um. Well, first of all, Dr. Joe Lucchese is a guy that I've become familiar with over the last couple of years through uh, retired director of instruction, director of golf, excuse me, John Kennedy at Westchester Country Club, and one of my friends in teaching, Mr. Barry Triano. But Joe, Joe is a former Navy SEAL, an incredible life story, actually, really incredible. And his brother was a Navy SEAL as well, which is really incredible. And you know how you and I both have a passion for the military and what they do for this country and how, and how much they've given. Well, Joe's given... Right. More than his share, to put it mildly. But Joe has, uh, after his Navy SEAL career, done an incredible job educating himself in uh, sports physiology. He's a chiropractor. Uh, he's got several um, different degrees that relate to the human body. But he's come up with a product called Rotex, and anybody can check it out, Rotex Golf or Rotex, R-O-T-E-X, uh, both on Facebook and on various social media platforms. But it's it's a basically a protocol and it, it's a couple pieces of equipment that really allow you in a very brief period of time to create some releases in different key areas of your body. And when applied to golf, uh, some of the benefits are just amazing. Um, tons of lower body applications, several upper body applications, 
Um, you know, the, the, the seven areas that I talk a lot about in my teaching are your hamstrings, your hip flexors, your quads, and your glutes, and your lower body, and then your pectoral area, your rotocuff, and your scapular, and your upper, and your upper body. And Joe's Rotex machines, and they're very simple machines um, and very inexpensive machines, address all those, all my seven areas every single time you touch them. Um, so Joe's coming out uh, the 27th. Gonna, we're going to do a seminar from one to four. We're going to be able to accommodate 16 people. I think we've got, I, I think as I looked at today's schedule, we've got six already signed up. So we've got 10 more spots available. It's $125 for three hours with this guy who's an absolute expert on the human body and performance. It's probably the best $125 anybody will ever spend. Um, and I'm excited to spend some time with him myself because he's already helped me a lot. And I'm, I'm looking for some more help all the time. When you're, when you're short, old, and fat and 60, you need all the help you can get. <laughs> Tom, remind our listeners, again, how they can stay up to date with all the great things you're doing and follow you, whether it's online or it's on social media. Uh, Chris, the easiest way is through my website, which is just simply Tom Patry, P-A-T-R-I.com. And then, you know, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, um, the Twitter, certainly. Um, I'm always chasing you around Twitter. You always, you always beat me to the punch on Twitter, but I'm, I'm still chasing you with all my heart, pal. I'm not going <laughs> to let you get away. Um, but, uh, I, I just, I love hearing from people. Um, I'm looking forward to making a, a ton of new friends in Indiana this summer. I'm excited about that, but uh, more importantly than them finding me, they need to find you more often. And whoever's out there listening to this podcast, if you've got a friend that's a golfer and is passionate, and they don't know about Next on the Tee, please make them aware of it because it is the greatest podcast for golf in the world. Uh, I appreciate you, TP, very much, my friend. Thank you for your time. Always great having you as part of the show. That's the, one of the most exciting things for 2019 is I get to have you on a couple of times a month. I can't thank you for your time and everything you're doing for the show, Tom. You're the best. I, I enjoy being on with you, pal. It's always a lot of fun. Um, it's, it's, it's great fun being with you. And uh, I'm going to see you in a couple of days, I think, again. Is that right? Absolutely. Yes, you yep, will. Yep, yep, yep. So, okay, pal. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me on. You have a great night. and uh, God bless America, pal. Uh, thank you, TP. Take care, Tom. We'll catch up soon. Okay, bye. That is the great Tom Patry, TomPatry.com, P-A-T-R-I, TomPatry.com. Check out his site. He's got a lot of great videos on there, a lot of great instruction. Please check it out there and then follow him on Instagram, Facebook, and uh, on Twitter as well because he continues to post really great stuff all the time. And now, like I've said to you guys before, Golf Tips Magazine. I subscribed when Tom became one of their top 25 instructors. We've got a lot of other good friends that are in that top 25 as well, thinking about Allison Kurtz and, and Cindy Miller and, and Brady Riggs and, and Tom Stickney. So a lot of really good friends that have been on the show are also in their top uh, 25, and Tom is right at the head of that list. So go subscribe and get a lot of the, the uh, a lot of great instruction from there as well. All right, folks, time for me to put a bow on this edition of Next on the Tee. My sincere thanks go out again to Charlie Fisher, Tim Simpson, and, of course, Tom Patry as well. Please give me your thoughts. Check out our page on Facebook, Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, and share your feedback right there. Plus, if you have a question for one of our previous guests or one of our future guests, please let me know. I'll be glad to get that question answered for you or asked right here on the show. 
You can see who some of our future guests are going to be by going online to our site, nextonthetea.net. Please also check out our sister show on the football side, Thursday Night Tailgate with me and my co-host, Bob Lazari, and our announcer, Joe Lajanusa. That show airs live every Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. You can stream it live on Blog Talk Radio, and that show like this one, also available as a free podcast over on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audioboom. Our new friends at podcast.co can't thank them enough for inviting us to be a part of their podcasting site. You can go online to podcast.co and you can stream any any of our archive episodes for free over on there as well. On Thursday night tailgate, we are joined every week by five NFL legends who come on and share their stories from their playing days, plus share insights into what's going on around the league now. Plus, we highlight two players doing great things in their communities on our Spotlight on the Positive segment. You can find that show online at ThursdayNightTailgate.com. This show, again, next on net. Folks, thank you again for choosing to listen to this show tonight. We really appreciate the fact that you are making part of making us part of your golfing content. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends. You've been listening to Next on the T with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA pros and top instructors and media members go to tell their stories. Join us the same time every Tuesday.